to humor me for a moment, but if you close your eyes and think of a motorway that you're traveling down and then estimate the speed 70 or 80 miles an hour. Six months before my eldest arrived, I blacked out on the motorway because I'd been working myself to the bone. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, and do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every L Podcast where we discuss with our guests what happened in your life that you would consider an L and looking back, navigating that situation and coming at the upper end, what would you now say that is if it was an L at all? Now, I'm so privileged to have various guests come on from various different backgrounds, various different ideologies and various different passions in life. And this person today is no exception. This gentleman I have met probably about 18 months, two years ago. I believe it's probably over the pandemic time. But it feels like that that Marvel movie where everyone just had a bit of a blip where they disappeared for a while and they come back. That was COVID for me. A lot of stuff happened there and it just mushed into this one one time scale. And I don't know what it is. But I'm grateful for this connection. I'm grateful for his existence. I'm grateful for what he does. He's a very, very passionate guy. And you know, with all my guests, I've got something to say about them because if I don't like them like that, I might have them on the podcast. Let's be honest, right? People, I am not going to have someone on if I don't vibe with them like that. It just makes no sense. But this person, I'm very fortunate enough, like everyone else, they have energy, they have drive, they have passion. They're all about trying to help improve other people's situation. He's a very selfless individual. However, he does look after his own. His family is a priority to him, but he understands what he's been through doesn't need to be what other people need to go through. And he's willing to help other dads to improve their situation, to have that outlet, to talk to them, to let them feel included, to let them feel heard. And that's an important thing because if you're if you're not a dad, it's pretty hard for you to gauge this. But I'm sure we can all gauge that we've at some point been in a crowd and felt lonely, been in a situation where we want to articulate ourselves, but we can't find the words to string a sentence together to be able to tell people how you feel accurately. Aiden is very good at doing that. Aiden is very good at pulling people out of where they're at meeting them where they're at as well and in just getting them to engage to not feel isolated and alone and that is such a powerful thing in today's society especially when you turn on the news or however you consume the media and hear all the horrific things that's happening in other countries and all the things about cost of living and if you're a new parent oh my gosh it's even more crazy because you've got you're going into this world that's unknown so to have someone that champions how to support new dads in like face to face as well as virtually, that that is amazing. And yes, I, I am part of MFF. We do something similar as well. But it doesn't mean that's only one group of people that can do it. It's the fact that a lot of us can call in together and support others in a similar way in various parts of the country and in various parts of the world. And Aiden, I thank you for what you're doing. And I'll probably overshare a little bit. I kind of cut into your intro. I apologize for that. But 
Aiden, hello, how are you? Could you please introduce yourself in a way you see fit? I'm good. I'm good. I am Aiden. I'm the, I'm so I'm a father of two and founder of the Modern Fatherhood Club, which is very much focused on the advancement and education of new fathers. It's been a passion project of mine for probably 18 months, almost, probably almost two years, actually. And it's something that if I told you every night I sat here at my desk, and worked on a blog or a video or an educational post of some description, I wouldn't be lying. This is my other nine to five, and I don't have all the time in the world, but the time that I do have, I invest heavily in what I think is a gap where fathers are falling into a space where they are lacking support lacking resources and lacking the education to feel confident in their roles and feel supported. And if I told you getting dads to open up was an easy topic, it's not. So you have to deal with all sorts of challenges, all sorts of personalities, masculinity, etc. All of which in that melting pot of fatherhood can stop you opening up or leave you vulnerable to not only costing yourself dear, but costing those that you love the most dear. So anything I can do to advance the communication around fatherhood, the improvement of the welfare of the children in those relationships, the advancement of positive relationships through the work that I'm doing, I'm all in and and, and continue to be all in. I've, I've never worked as hard as I'm working now, uh, you know, I've got a full-time job, two kids, a wife, and a and a side project, which is essentially a full-time job too. <laughs> wow. See, folks, this is why it's so amazing. And women say men can't multitask. I'm joking, people. I'm jo- not really joking, but you know what I mean. No, much appreciated. Thank you very much for all that you do. As you can hear, he's very eloquent. You can tell that's why he's good at what he does. And just to have someone on here that has a passion project that puts so much time and energy into things that is not self-serving is a beautiful thing. So like I said before, thank you very much for all that you do. And yeah, you know, I'm there backing you, supporting you however I can. And I'm sure I look forward to seeing the more great stuff that you do. So as we go on to it, as everyone knows, my guests book themselves in, they write down what they want to talk about. A lot of people, funny enough, actually think I tell them what to talk about. So I read out. <laughs> You guys tell me what you want to talk about and we have a discussion around it. So I am as ignorant to this topic as everyone else. So when I tell you what the topic is, we're going to have a conversation about and discover together what it's really all about. So Aiden said that he would like to discuss depression after new baby. Now I'm thinking postnatal depression. I'm thinking the baby blues from a dad perspective, which I think I've definitely experienced. Please go back to the beginning where you feel is appropriate to go on and then tell us how, how things unfolded. So on the, so we had Max. So I've got two boys, Henry and Max. Max is the youngest and Max was born the week of lockdown. And to say that I was in a positive space about being a father for the second time, I absolutely wasn't. 
I'd been struggling with stress at work, struggling with my health, struggling generally with just having time and space for me as, as a father, but more importantly, as a, as a man, and then more importantly, as a husband. And nine days into nine days after Max arrived, I took our eldest out for a drive. You know, you know how it is. The kids don't go to sleep. The last, you know, you either go go for a walk with pushchair, or you you put them in the car and pray that they fall asleep. Well, on this occasion, uh, Henry did fall asleep, and it was probably about an hour in, into the drive, and um, and I got home, and I, I'd been off for a while, just in terms of like my mental state, but my I put him to bed, wandered downstairs and sat opposite my wife who was breastfeeding our nine nine day old son. And she she said to me, you know, what what is the matter with you? You know, what's going on? I said, you know, I'm fine. I'm tired. Standard male response, right? I think the stark reality was I was in a complete mess. My my head was in a mess. I wasn't thinking. I I, I liken it to walking around in a dark cloud and uh, to put it lightly, depression had kicked in and hit hard. So whether it was postnatal depression or dad blues, it, I, I believe it was bigger than that. But I think the trigger, the final trigger, was having having Max. And I essentially sat there after being challenged for quite a considerable amount of time. Turned to her and said, "Look, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm done. I want to check out. I, you know, I want to die." And you can, um, I'll paint a picture for you. If words could tear through somebody, they did in that very moment. Those words shot across the room and blew my wife's world apart with my son on her lap. And whilst immediately regretted what I said, I kind of felt like the world had like, given me a chance. So the burden had been lifted. I'd said something that I'd probably been holding on to for, for far too long. And Yes, it shook her world. Yes, it was a selfish thing to do, but it sparked something in me to move my life in a direction where I was feeling like I was contributing, feeling like I was adding value, feeling like I had something to push for. And seeing how she reacted enabled me to take on the challenge of getting better. I'd always struggled with I suppose mental health. I'd never really looked after myself. Long hours working, long commute, no exercise. At times I lived off coffee, Monday to Friday. The meetings were back to back. That's all I could live on was was coffee. I kind of lived in this anxious state of I must perform at work and therefore that's my identity, I suppose. That, that, that's where I was. But it, if I take it a step further back, I, I kind of want you to just humor me for a moment, but you close your eyes and think of a motorway that you're traveling down and then estimate the speed 70 or 80 miles an hour. Six months before my eldest arrived, I blacked out on the motorway because I'd been working myself to the bone. Now, for whatever reason, I managed not to crash into anything. <laughs> I don't know how. It wasn't a busy motorway, but it was in the middle of the day. And that was kind of a wake-up call. But now 
I want you to reflect on what you would do in that situation. You're, you've got a baby on the way. You've got a job. You've got all this pressure building. I went home. I had to call my dad to come and get me because I was like on the side of the road, probably in the, in the midst of a panic attack at that time. And we finally got home and my wife said, Oh, what's the matter? I said, oh, I just didn't feel very well in the motorway. And she went, okay. And, and she said, in what way? And I said, well, you know, just felt a bit faint. I had to pull over. And I, I never really explained to her the, what happened. And I, and I didn't because I wanted to protect her from what was quite a frightening experience for me. But as a, as a man, my response was I went to the hospital the following day. I didn't go to the hospital that night. I went to bed. And then the following day, I went back to work and just carried on like nothing had happened. The only thing that I changed over the six months after was my job. And I made that change. And that's part of the, I suppose, the evolution of the, the snack that I, that I had after Max was I had that issue with the car, in the car. That prompted me to make some changes in my life, which was change my job. Positive changes. Changes that I thought were necessary, I wouldn't call them positive. They were more... I need to be close to home. I need to stop commuting. You know, for the first six months of when Henry arrived, I was in and, you know, in at eight, he was in bed. So I missed bath time, bedtime. I wasn't working from home at that point. And obviously COVID has been a bit of a blessing, but you get to that position where I black out in the car, Henry's then born and I'm like panicking. I need to change jobs. I need to, I need to feel like I'm adding value to my family unit beyond just helping pay the bills so i changed jobs but for the first time in my life i i made the wrong decision on the job front so i've always i've always made the right decision i've always been good at making decisions around job choices but for the first time in my life i made it for one reason one reason only which is financial opportunity and boy did that backfire so i made one decision which was to go back to work straight after having an episode in the car that prompted me then to make some better choices around getting closer to home so there wasn't so much pressure on me. And then I took a job because it paid me more money, which was totally against my principles. Like I, I, as a as an employee of a company, you want to add value on a contribute. You want to you know be able to see what you've done and delivered. I took this job and I remember on day one going, whoops, I've, I've made a right old mistake here um and that continued really for for a 10 month period it resulted in me losing my job so i had the pressure of then losing a job then the pressure of trying to find a job managed to find another job i had such a positive experience in the job before that they that brought me back on board but i hadn't really learned anything well, i had but i ignored the learnings i suppose so i threw myself back into work again because i'd cost myself a year of my career, cost myself most of a year of my fatherhood journey because I was so distracted by the things that were there around me, like the job that I didn't want to do, the people that I didn't want to be around. And then fast forward to 2019, I get this new job. I'm committed to it. I'm pouring my heart and soul into it. But again, I'm not making it home for bedtime. I'm not making it home for bath time. And then fast forward to 2020, I'd burned my, I'd literally burned through everything I had, I think, mentally in, in that sort of 12 month period, probably two year period to be fair. And I remember being, I think it was like the 31st of December, started thinking about, oh, maybe, 
actually the world's probably better off with without me. It's a fair assessment, but I, I, that was my the voice inside my head, and I kind of harboured that voice for for close to three months, and then Max was born, and then that final snap happened. And like I said, it wasn't until the reaction of the person sat in the room opposite me. When you're struggling with various different things, you go through a period of you already know that you're struggling, right? And you can carry that burden for as long as your mental, I suppose, the fibre doesn't snap. I liken it to like continuously stretching an elastic band and eventually just pings. And I got so good. I call it bouncing back. Bouncing back or ignoring the issue. So I'd always known I had the problem, but I never admitted it to anybody. And it wasn't until I admitted it to somebody that cared about me and I really, really cared about that I wasn't, I was able to actually put things into perspective and go, hold on a second. Now it's time to, you've got two kids. Now it's time to make positive changes that help you, but more importantly, that you're a positive influence for, for them. So a lot of what I experienced was postnatal, but the reality was the lifestyle I was leading up to being a father contributed significantly to that downfall. And that's what I try to educate dads on because in your fatherhood journey, you go through this seismic shift and, and mum does too, this seismic shift where your relationship turned upside down, your work-life balance is turned upside down, your sleep pattern is turned upside down. And I think I speak for many dads, our preparation and awareness of the shift or preparation for the shift and awareness of the shift we just don't think about and i think partly that's because our connection with bump is different and we're we're you know we're we're ready to be dads but mentally we're probably not fully prepared and that's why you get caught out so the work that i tend to do is post baby Partly because I think ideally you change, you create a solution that prevented the problem. I think, but the mentality that I've certainly that I've experienced over the last two years is, yeah, well, I'll I'll cover that when I'm a dad, and then it catches you out like it did me, and then you kind of you're quite far down the rabbit hole, and you're left with that: do I admit it or do I just keep pushing on and hope maybe I just push past it? Or bounce back, like you said you normally do. Or bounce back, yeah. So, everyone, just to clarify, I actually have heard this story before because Aiden and I have had a conversation. It was so many conversations ago and unfortunately got lost amongst the archive of conversations I've had. However, what makes this story so different is the fact that he's incorporated both his L's into one story and things have changed drastically with me where I'm at. So the questions I'm going to ask are going to be so different. I think there's layers to this. And I think a lot of people would want to know from your perspective, how you came to the decisions you made. The conversation I had with a couple of dads was, do dads grieve the life they used to have before becoming a dad, where they could just get up and go out, whether it be to a sports gym, whatever. And, and one of them was arguing, no, I wanted to be a dad. I was ready for it. The other one was like saying, yeah, but do you not just feel a certain way where you could just up and go? I could see both sides of it. As soon as I found out I was having twins, all right, cool. So I kind of understand how people grieve because I was grieving the life that I wasn't going to have. You've had, I would assume you've had two pregnancies, two children. I've had two pregnancies, three children. 
the time I thought I was going to have. <sighs> what time? I, the only person that actually helps me with this podcast is my wife with childcare. I've got no, I've got no reason to say otherwise, but I was grieving a life I thought I was going to have. So I get when people haven't got everything in place the way they want to before having a child, because it can kind of spin you a little bit. And at the same time, I understand the preparation where you're ready to be a parent because I was ready to be a parent of two. Mm, yeah. Not three. And it's, it's, it sounds so weird me saying this, but I'm hoping I'm conveying it in a good way in the sense of I love my babies to bits. I, I, I would not change anything for them but it was just at that time i was prepped for a baby we planned to have a child i thought it was a sprint to the finish line it ended up being a podium finish i was not prepared for that <laughs> it was the longest scan of my life it was a lot but i i had those mixed emotions so i kind of get how you could be and what i want to know i guess it would be an important question to ask was that a planned pregnancy or was that a happy surprise no no it was planned pregnancy and everything from his arrival was bang on from the from the moment he arrived we had a, a my wife hit my birth so well, i didn't really contribute in the uh, in the delivery room but it was planned and we had this you know well, i had paternity leave it was paid in full and i went back to work after the two weeks and i had this burning desire to like do more progress further provide more create more for for us as a as a family unit i think kind of lulled me into a false sense of security as well though because everything went well we had like some difficulties at the beginning with like breastfeeding both of my boys have had tongue tie but he was a sleeper he ate well you know he's got no allergies you know we had the opportunity we were fortunate enough to be able to go on holiday with him in the first, I think he was 10 months old the first time on holiday. And that was amazing. At that point, though, I was falling into like a, in, into that sort of darkness. But the, the first holiday was amazing. We very fortunate to go away later in the year as well, which was great. But the, we had an opportunity to go to Centre Parts for a week. Just have been, it's October 2018. So he was just over a year old. And I lost my job the week after we got back. Wow. So all, all my partner and I spoke about for a week. And we're the type of people that will talk in detail about stuff. Yeah. But often in a way that riles you up and gets you angry, not at each other, just at the, the situation. situation. And we did that for a week. Um, so the, that final break that we had that that, that year, you know, I, I can't remember it. I, I know that we went somewhere. But I suppose second time around, probably COVID contributed in a certain way. I, I, I've never reacted well to being locked down to anything, it, just in terms of, you know, having my freedom taken away. And I, I'm sure many people have felt that way. And I appreciate, you know, to keep everyone safe, it was important, but it felt like my, my, my liberty was being taken away. But I, I wouldn't say that that had a factor because actually this all happened within nine days of Max arriving. So we were what week two of COVID lockdown and I used COVID to my absolute advantage. I, I was back at work, but I was working from home and I got to work from home 
for the whole year, no requirement to go back into the office. And that didn't, I didn't go into the office for almost 18 months. And that gave me the space to build the mental, resi- mental strength, I suppose, to get back on track. And I think a lot of people that go through a, a difficult situation like I did, they'll put the effort in for a short period of time and then they'll stop because they think they're okay. And I've been very conscious over the last, certainly the last 12 months that I need to regulate my behavior, my, my intake of alcohol, for example, my intake of coffee, what I eat, exercise regime, etc. but also what I'm consuming on a daily basis, like from a use perspective, that kind of stuff. It all plays a part in staying mentally on top of things. But as a dad, even as a mum, you've got the motivation to make the change, but the change, I believe, has to be necessary. And the only way to work out if it's necessary is whether or not you're having an adverse impact on the family unit. And often, because we bottle things up, probably more so men than women, we kind of push it, we just push it too far. We let things go. You know, when you, when you tell your wife you're ready to kill yourself, that kind of leaves everything else off the table. Like, she can ask you anything. It's, it's there. And there were a couple of moments in the, in the immediate fallout where she used to look at me and think, mm, not convinced that you're okay. And that probably lasted close to 18 months, but there isn't that, that fear or look in her eyes anymore, which is positive. I think that's testament, testament to her resilience as a, as a woman and as a wife, but as a, as a mother. But I think the positive outlook from it all is, and certainly what I've learned is I have to put my mental health first. That's not at first above my kids because my kids are the most, my kids have what benefit from me being in a good state. So winter, for example, is I, I hate the winter. I hate the, no, I'm sat here all day. It's pretty much dark outside most of the time if it's raining and that you, you can feel that drains, drains you. And I think had I slipped and I haven't slipped, had I slipped, then probably would, I would question my mental resilience and strength. I haven't. And that enables me to father at the level that I expect of myself. I don't put any pressure on myself. I just believe that I'm a better human, better man, better dad because of being through what I went through. But more importantly, I've invested the bloody time to stay on top. So if we go back to when you first had your incident on the road before your firstborn and you was driving clear road, well, not as busy as some roads are, and you had a blackout, pulled over, dad, come get me. Did you tell your dad? I, uh, I, told, I told him the full story this year. Wow. After about five pints, 10 pints, maybe. So, I, 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 you know, I even lied on the, on the day. So why did you lie? Just, just, you know, you, A, I didn't quite understand what happened. And B, I was quite ashamed of it. Because of, ultimately it was me, wasn't it? It wasn't, um, I pushed myself to the point of that situation. My body and my mind were at a level to, 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 to knock you, you know, flat on your back. So I hadn't looked after myself. It wasn't, it wasn't anybody else's responsibility. But you do feel that immense feeling of powerlessness 
and, and shame for getting to that point, I think. So what did you tell him then? So, hey, Dad, can you come grab me? I just said, I'm, I'm feeling unwell. I'm on the M40. I don't quite know where I am. I think I'm near a service station. I'll call you again when I get to the service station, but I'm not convinced I can drive. And then about two and a half hours later, it's been about two and a half hours later, he turned up. I'd eaten, had a drink, and I remember I literally only had about 40 miles to drive, and I followed him on the M25, on the M40 and the M25, holding the steering wheel, the tightest you could hold anything, like, like white knuckles. Because I wasn't fully clear, you know, I wasn't clear on what happened, and it hadn't cleared. So the only other you know, the only other thing would have been to probably get in an ambulance or something, but then somebody would have known. It happened in April, and he, uh, Henry was born in June. She would have known. I didn't want to put her through it. So after it happened, and Dad came out two and a half hours, that's a long, that's... Yeah, yeah, he doesn't live anywhere near the end party. <laughs> so, that, so that's it itself, right? That's a long commute, done it. And then you're having your dad check up on you later on, either the same day, another day. Well, he stays, yeah, he stayed over hour, hours and then I went to the hospital and the, hosp- the hospital gave me an all clear. I had an ECG. Who decided to go to the hospital? Was it you or? No, no, I was told when no uncertain circumstances that I was going to the hospital. By your missus, your dad or both? No, by both. But then, you, you know, you go to the hospital 12, 12 24 hours later, wherever it was. And um, I was fine. There was nothing wrong with me. You know, I felt I was tired. I knew I was tired. And then you kind of just go, I went, well, I I think at that point, because we hadn't had had Henry, I probably felt I was still a little bit indestructible and able to just, well, you know, 30 something. I've looked after myself, looked after myself relatively well, clearly not, but in my head I had. And therefore, just back to it you know that, that's my job as, as, a, as a as father to be and, a, and as a husband is to, to push on regardless or that's what i thought at the time and then you decided that you was going to change job for less commuting is that because even though you've given it all clear you still was mindful that you didn't want this to be a potential a reoccurrence again yeah yeah I, I, so if I, to put it into context i knew every time i got in a car i was I was like scared of driving back, especially at night time. Day's time, not so bad because I could stop. But I had like a hour and 30, hour and 40 minute drive to work five days a week. And I also at the time was working in Leicester. So I was working in Leicester and Bexhill on sea and I don't live anywhere near either of those places. And five days a week in and out of the office. The only thing that changed was I started working from home a bit. And that was more mandated by my boss. After I'd said to him that I'd, you know, been unwell on the way home from, um, but I didn't take any time off work. I just, just plowed into it. I had another project to deal with. I was running, you know, 70 to 80 people across two locations. I had to keep going until that opportunity to move close to home came up. So that opportunity to work close to home, is that one that you was pursuing or one that just happened to present itself? It presented itself. And if I, if I, I'll, I'll walk you through the interview experience. The first interview went really badly. The second interview went really well. And then the third interview was a, do you really want this job interview? 
because I was moving from one company to another. So a big, you know, two and a half thousand people building to wow. 25 people in a room. You really want this job? And I, I was kind of like, mm. my head I was like, not really, but I could do with a break. Mentally, I could do with a break. And I can't commute any longer. In my head, I can't commute any longer. Oh, and you're going to pay me more money to do the same job for less stress. Probably going to do that. But all of those were against the principles and values that I held is, you know, to, to bring value, to contribute, to feel valued in, in an organization, but also to, to progress. The, the one that I kind of sold out on was the, was the pounds and the pence for the very first time. And I've, n- I've never done it since. Well, we all we all do things that we look back in hindsight and maybe think, yeah, could have de- dealt with it a different way. But I'm in the headspace where it's very much we're building the bridge and actively walking it at the same time. We don't have the luxury of sitting back and having an architect involved or a structural engineer to get involved and go, yeah, do it this way, do it that way. And those of us that do, guess what? It doesn't even map out the way we've planned it to anyway and get more frustrated when it doesn't act that way. So I kind of get that. And it sounds like you did. You was going through a lot. Because you the pregnancy was planned, but you was feeling this way, for me, I'm still un- unclear about what was the trigger. What was the driving force behind that got you from, yeah, let, let's, let's grow our family. And I say grow because I hate when people say, and I don't hate, that's not really the right word, but I don't like when people say, let's start a family because technically you and that person is a family unit. There are people out there that cannot have children for one reason or another. Doesn't mean they're not a family. If the idea of having children was mutual, mm-hmm. love each other, let's bring another version of ourselves into this world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Throwing yourself into work, you're indestructible. That's your mentality. I get that. Things aren't working out. You're potentially overcompensating by saying, oh, well, I can't do this, so I can do this. Let's try and make more money. Let's try and provide in ways that I'm not already doing. But you just didn't feel fulfilled you you was missing this what where did that come from what caused that if do you know so it's it's a it's a good question because and that's where i think you know you you become dad and you grow into that role but you're still you know you're still an individual and that part of your identity is what created the person that you are before you're a dad i was ready to be a dad what having reflected on it and part of the work I've been doing on part of the work I did on myself, but more importantly, the part of the work I teach others is I have you achieved everything that you sought out to achieve in the world? You know, did you have a set of goals? Did you achieve them? Now, I told you that I had a series of goals that I achieved. The last one was being a parent. I didn't have anything after that. I didn't have any plan didn't have I, I genuinely believed that when you know i moved to london got a house got married got another house you know sold the, the house and moved to where we live now and then we started a family but at no point did i consider how that would change me mentally uh, change my approach to things and up, up until 2020 i hadn't really found what was fulfilling me you know i, I went to uni I got a good job out of uni. In fact, I didn't get a good job out of uni. I got a job out of uni and then worked my way up and then moved around in my my space of expertise. But I believe in order to feel fulfilled, you need to have a project that you 
are passionate about. Now, it could be your career or it could be something different, which is, which is where I am now. If I told you now that I'm fulfilled, I am because I've got my family. I've got my relationship. I love my kids. I love my wife. I've got a job that I enjoy. It doesn't fulfill me, but it, I enjoy it. I work with people that I enjoy working with, but I have a project that I will work. I now put all my energy, the energy that I would have put in my career where I operated in this like high stress environment. I've now turned that on its head and used that to my advantage to further what I'm doing outside of my job, which is my obviously my passion project, which is revolution use stuff. That's to find fulfillment though, and to find that burning desire to further yourself, which is I think what is what I needed. I never felt like I'd I'd achieved things, but I'd never achieved like happiness or I'd, I'd never achieved that level of, do you know what? I'm, I'm good. I'm happy because I'd always worked hard in a job that I did, but I didn't love it. And my job is part of who I am. Like, sorry, my career is part of who I am or my, my business now is part of who I am, part of my identity, my passion. But because I'm fulfilled and because I'm more passionate about life in general. I am able to be a better human around the people that mean the most to me because they're now getting the real version of me, the authentic version of me. I'm interested. I'm listening to you and I'm hearing what you're saying. And I want to ask a question. Was you scared about becoming a dad? Um, I think so. I remember, my wife's going to kill me for this. She doesn't know this. So I'm going to say it anyway. Because she won't, she, she'll listen to some of the podcasts before all of it. <laughs> The, um, the day that we found out we were having Henry, we, you know, we'd done a pregnancy test or whatever, and I saw the line before she did. And I was like, oh, this is... And then she was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm so happy. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm, I'm so happy. But I felt like my excitement was different, partly because I think I'd ruined the surprise oh, gosh. in my own head because I'd, spot, I'd just seen it. I was like, oh, well, I, I won't tell her. But now, now she's going to know. But I was, was I nervous? I was, no, was I worried about it? The only thing that worries me in my in my role as dad today is will my son or sons have the same challenges that perhaps I had? That's the only thing that worries me or frightens me about fatherhood. Everything else is it's a joy, it's a pain. I love it. There are days where it's relentless. There are days where the, the the pressure is hard, but there are moments in every day, if you can see them for what they are, where it's true simplicity and joy. And you don't have, I don't think you have that outside of the role of fatherhood. I find that interesting. And it's, and I, I agree with you. Fatherhood is amazing. It's, if you ever have the chance to experience fatherhood, definitely and you don't have to be a biological father you could be a stepfather you could be an adopted father you could be someone that just unofficially adopted someone outside because you become their mentor and just love on them like that and just offer them the time of day to support them but i'm, I'm just thinking based on what you've done and i'm not a professional in any capacity that knows this but i'm just hearing the pe- picture that's being painted or seeing the picture that's being painted and it feels very much like potentially was it used as, yeah, we're, we're having a baby. Crap. I, I, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know. Yeah. That's probably the best version of a dad that you could ever be. But 
what the hell does that look like? And I, I liken it to, I used to have money. I still kind of have money, kind of, cost to live in. But I have, I used to have money when I lived at home with my mum. Don't know how the hell I was going to finance a house <laughs> because uh, easy, I was running from paycheck to paycheck when I was at home with my mum and I wasn't paying rent. So how am I going to afford a house? But by hook or by crook, we made it work. We're in a flat. Oh yeah, service charge ground rent. This is not the one. This money's not going towards a mortgage. It's just dead money. All right, cool. Let's get a house. What the hell's that look like? I told you I'd, I'd had no money living at home with my mum. And now I'm living in the flat. And now you want to be, tra- what, what, what money have I got? What? I know money grows on tree, but I ain't got that tree. I have to go venture out through woods, cut down some trees to get that money. It's made it work. It, it feels like it makes it work. But until you take that leap of faith, you walk on that bridge that you're actively building and walking at the same time. You don't know what it looks like and it's hard. So I, I'm thinking, and I'm happy for you to interject in the sense of happy to be a, uh, happy to be a dad, maybe conversations, maybe things that people have said, because I've, I've had people indirectly tell me things about, oh, fatherhood's tough and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, I know that, but they want to still get involved and offer their two cents, even though it was never asked or requested for. And it can make you feel a certain way. And then potentially, if you're then leaning more into your work, trying to do the best you can, and eventually it manifests itself in a way where you just suddenly, boom, on the side of a motorway, dad, come get me. You're not functioning to full capacity because something is fundamentally not working. There is something that is applied pressure. Yes, you go again, you kind of survive it. You then go on holiday with your eldest well, it wasn't the eldest, your only son at the time. Then you come back, you ain't got a job. What the hell does that look like? That's pressure upon pressure. I've just taken this huge risk, taken family, gone on holiday. Oh, I knew I shouldn't have gone on holiday. Now, blah, 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 blah. All this happened. You find a job, you do all you got to do. And then you have your other side. Yeah, we're pregnant again. It's kind of what I want. But what the hell does this look like? I've just gone through that. Why would I put myself through more to the point where, and I don't know, because we haven't touched on it yet, but... I don't want to be here. That part I find very different to the first feeling. But did you find yourself somehow on the upward curve after having the blackout, losing the job? Like you had your son, um, mm. went on holiday. Sound like things were going relatively well in the limited information you've given me. But it sounded like things were going in the right direction. But what caused it to dip again? It's the... If, if you imagine living in a world where you're in a high-functioning state of anxiety and stress all the time, so in the the when Henry was born, it was it was amazing. I'd had this. I'd obviously had this episode in the car, but that that was that was a point of clarity for me that you can't keep doing this. The problem was my personality is I'm 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 highly introverted person like but at work i can't be introverted so i'm constantly battling this introverted person because i you know i I have to be extroverted in even in the role that i do today i have to be extroverted even though i don't want to be you know put me in a room of 100 people and i'll stand by the wall and quite happily watch everyone i'm a i'm a people watcher but from when henry arrived there was a period of clarity which enabled me to change jobs difficulty was i didn't think it through in the way that I would now, which is very much, you know, why am I changing jobs? What's the motivation behind the change? 
who's it going to benefit? Who's it going to cost? When I changed jobs that time, the only reason why I changed job was we just had Henry. I was missing out on loads of stuff really early on. I felt quite guilty about it and conflicted. But more importantly, I, I was really struggling to get to and from work, like mentally. Like it was, it was hard to get in the car, drive to work. Even though I wasn't driving every day, it was, it was hard. So the reality was I had this clarity because my son had come along and given me an amazing feeling of, I'm a dad. This is exactly what I wanted. This is, you know, he was born during the Lions tour of New Zealand and, you know, he's going to be the next great rugby player. He doesn't even like rugby, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> and I was so happy at home, but not at work because I'd made this decision and I'd, I'd always followed my gut. And this was the only time I didn't at that particular juncture. And I think that's where the incident in the, you know, the episode in the car is one thing. Then I'm on this upward trajectory, but I make a decision that's not following my entire way of thinking. It's just, I need to get out because it's impacting me. It's impacting, it's not impacting him yet, but it could do in the long term. And I had that out. And then that out turned into a nightmare for 10 months. And it was, you know, I spent a lot of time in, in the moment. You're really angry with the situation, the people around me, my boss, etc. Start reality was the only person I was angry with was me. Because for the first time in my life, I didn't trust my intuition. I didn't trust my gut. I knew on the day that I walked into that building, I didn't want to be there. But I knew that I, there was a benefit to me being there because I was home at 5.30. You know, I was leaving the house at half eight, getting to work at nine for the first time in my adult life. I wasn't really commuting. But that, if you're striving for something and trying to push yourself and then you hit a wall of, there's not a lot going on here, you, it's mentally fatiguing. And I think that's where, you know, the first part of that year was great. You know, we went to America and I've got pictures of him in Central Park. We went to all these sorts of breweries, you know, all the stuff that we, my wife and I enjoyed doing. Went around New York, Philly, saw my, my mate that lives out there. It was, you know, it was a really unique experience for all of us. Plane rides, not so much, but, you know, and then we went to a wedding in Italy and that was, it was amazing. But I'd started to, I'd started to kind of let alcohol, not, not like massively, but alcohol was creeping in and, you know, on a Saturday night, I'd have four or five drinks in house. Same on a Friday night as a as a as a get out. I didn't drink during the week, but that was always my get out. But I also wasn't seeing anybody. Like my friends lived quite far away. I wasn't there was no out. It was us as a family and a crap job that I hated that I needed to get out of. And I think that turned into a nightmare because I blamed everyone else around me at the time. When in reality, the only person to blame, which is easy to say with hindsight, was was me now i understand what motivates me now i understand what drives me now i understand the impact of my decisions and the impact on my kids it's so much more easier to make decisions that is, I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to come back to this because I think there is something I I just need to separate them for a minute. Guys, girls, however you identify it. Sorry for jumping back and forth here. 
It's because Aiden decided to put them two together. Anyway, so I'm going to go back. You fainted at the side, well, blacked out at the side of the road, weren't in a good headspace, change of situation. Looking back, you made some questionable decisions. Absolutely. If that wasn't an L in terms of what you did, what was it? What did you gain from that, if anything? Gained perspective. Over a long period of time, I gained perspective. I recognize now, when you're young, I'm not old, but when you're young, you do think you can just keep going and you can keep pushing on, and whether that be mental or physical. And what I think I discovered during that that event and and obviously the latter event was actually the the, the brain matter only goes so far. It's only so spongy and it's only so only so resilient. I probably learned that in fact I did learn that connecting what's important to me and being really clear on that keeps me level headed, which enables me to be better as me, but more importantly better as the father of my two boys and the husband to my to my wife. And I guess you also learned that your dad has got your back. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, what was I, thirty? Like 35, you know, you phone your dad, you know, uh, can you come and, can you come and pick me up? You know, you know, I've done that many times after the pub. Don't get me wrong, but this was a, you know, and, he, and my, my dad's always had my back. And I think would never have told my mum, like she knows now, but again, wouldn't tell her the whole story because you, you know, my, the objective is to protect those that I care about, right? Yes, but I, I would like to challenge you on that. Would you rather your child be open and tell you the truth and you worry about them or hide things from you and you don't know if you can trust what they're saying is a complete truth? <laughs> it's a difficult one because my son's five and he's discovered lying. He's not very good at it either. <laughs> I think the lessons I'm teaching my boys at the moment without being like, really deep with them is honesty is important, but other people's judgment is less important. So. If you're comfortable in your own skin, and you know, my, my eldest is five, so tr- trying to get this into a, in a space that he understands it, is we had a, a conversation the other day about uh, show and tell at, at school. And he came back and he was like, Dad, uh, Matty did this at school and I'm going to do the same. And I was like, Hold on a second, that's not you. That's not the, f- I mean, without being really detailed, I was like, That's not the fabric of, of who you are. You're, you're Henry. And the things that you love to do are, a, B, and C, and probably the most important thing that you love to do is to draw. That thing that you're talking about isn't you, and that's not what people love you for. People love you for your creativity and your artistry, and and you know the pictures that you constantly are drawing, and all the creative, imaginative stuff that you bring into our world. Just turning up and standing next to Matty, who did this, it's not you, and that's not what people will see, and that's why I suppose. What I'm trying to teach them is what I've learned is that it's authenticity that will stand out. So you can be honest. As long as you're honest with yourself and honest with me, that's the most important bit. And you can only be honest if you're being your true, the true you, the most authentic version of you. And people will judge that. And in a world where, you know, I can't even come to understand some of it in terms of the criticism that people can receive, in my, if my boys grow up, authentic, true to themselves, and are able to filter out the BS that comes with other people, 
and their judgments, then they are better, I think, than maybe I would have been as I was growing up because I was very conscious of other people's judgment because I think, you know, often you are, especially as, you know, as an introverted person, you certainly are. I say this, and I'm going to sound so wise to saying it, but I'm not there. I kind of engage in a conversation with someone else about this. But honesty, transparency, we can be honest at the age of five. Because you know what, if I'm honest with you, any age, mm-hmm. for me personally, everyone else is different. I get that. But me personally, in my 20s, would I say I, I was my authentic self or any age younger than that of course I wasn't I'm still not my authentic self I'm still evolving growing and changing into whatever I will become eventually and there's not a constant there was not a state I will constantly reside in other than dad I guess mm-hmm. but other than that I'm gonna constantly be shifting and changing but I guess for me honesty is being when asked a question you provide an honest answer being transparent is saying just give you a heads up this happened. Yeah. I could be honest, but if you don't ask me the right question, you may not get the answer you're thinking you're going to get. Matt said he didn't do that. Well, I didn't quite say that. I just said I was here. I didn't tell you how long for. Yeah. Don't let me exercise a braid on you. And that that's the part <laughs> where I would like to think the way you want your children to be with you, you should afford your parents the same grace, the same the same level of respect because, and this is any day, everyone's relationship with their parents is different. I get that. But I'm just thinking if your dad's traveling two and a half hours, my guy was clearly doing something else to sacrifice potentially. Well, he, he sacrificed a whole day because he stayed over. So whatever plans he had, you at your big age, he's still saying, my boy needs me. Oh, what? He's over there. Oh, we go fill up the tank at the petrol station and drive all the way down there and find him and, yeah, guys, I can't be up with you. I've got things to do. But your boys are brown. Yeah. You'd think that, wouldn't you? It's, he yeah. loves you. He clearly loves you. He clearly wants to be there and support you. But you not telling them things could potentially be a contributing factor. And I'd like to think that the way you're creating this support hub, and this is obviously in hindsight, you're giving people that space that you had available to you, but didn't necessarily want to use for yeah. Unknown reasons. And it is, what would you tell yourself? What would you go back and tell your younger self? And again, keep this isolated to just that incident. What would you tell your younger self to kind of turn it into a positive and say, right, you need to do this to get your head to where you need to be? What would you say to yourself? To stop that event happening again? whatever it is so you was on a down was you was going down and then you decided to get into your job you didn't want to do because it went against your principles you was going down and then eventually things picked up what would you say to yourself to help encourage yourself to get in a positive headspace and to handle things in a better way i think well so i think the first challenge is i hadn't hit rock bottom and i think that's the difference so i was still in the headspace that it was just a thing that happened when you hit rock bottom there is a moment where you make a choice, A or B, and B is either recover and A is the obviously the, the one where you don't come back from. The, 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 the blackout event, I don't think, if I'm brutally honest, I don't think I was mature enough, even though I was in my 30s, I don't think I was mature enough to really accept that probably was an event where I was almost at Robotten. I was just pig-headed enough to keep, keep pushing on. What I would tell myself if I could go back there now would be, you know, if you don't get your head straight, 
if you don't start looking after yourself, if you don't change your habits, this is going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Now, you can do it on your own or you can do it with help, but that choice is yours. But most importantly, you've got the support around you, and I've always had that support. I've got that support around me to do what I need to do. So if I need, you know, if I needed to go and see somebody about it, you know, professionally, I know if I really asked my parents for it, they'd probably, you know, give me the money to pay for it, knowing that I'd need a little bit of money to cover the cost of it, knowing that I would get back on track. But what I think I've discovered from the event in its in, in totality is it's a constant evolving thing. And that's why if you haven't hit rock bottom, that choice isn't necessarily, in my experience, it didn't feel like it was necessarily available at that time because I wasn't ready to, I didn't see it as the, as the bottom, which is odd because it felt like, you know, in hindsight, very much was the bottom, but I managed to pick myself up for a very short space of time before, you know, totaling again at the very bottom. And then if that's what you would say to yourself, you said you probably wasn't mature enough to hear yourself say it. How would be the most effective way to get that message over to your younger self? Well, I'm, I'm a person that very much responds to assertive behavior. So I, I would probably have to give myself a, I, I grab myself by the scruff of the neck and say, you know, th- this is this is a moment in your life that you need to make a serious choice and start to look after yourself. The signs are there. The signs are there. I think, you know, that softly, softly approach. I know from my own mentality and my own a- approach since that point that the softly, softly approach doesn't work for me. You know, if, I, if I go to the gym in the morning, I'm there because everyone is pushing themselves hard because that's what I'm there for. That's the environment that I need to be in, that competitive environment to be in. And perhaps that's where the maturity piece comes in. I, I would historically probably have pushed against that. Now I know that actually it works for me. Yeah. I'm torn because you've dropped a bombshell in a later instance of telling the woman you love, who's holding your second born several days into existence, that you don't want to be here. You felt somewhat relieved being able to actually explain that, get it off your chest. But by offloading it off of your chest, you didn't just drop it on her, you dropped it on a tiny pinky toe and now she's in so much pain. She can't even scream, she hasn't got a voice. How How did we arrive to this point and how... I I even find it uncomfortable even asking this question because I'm putting myself in that position, and I and I feel for you, sort of having to relive it. But how did we arrive there? And it seems to be a lot of it is centered around your the birth of your children. It it just seems to be. Was you and your missus in a good place? Well, we've you know we've been together for twenty twenty one years now. Congratulations. We've had, we've had thank you. We've had um, we had a period of time where we weren't in a good place but we've been in a good place for a long time we're on the same wavelength i think one of the one of the challenges that we've always had is that we're necessarily challenges it's more so one of the like idiosyncrasies of our relationship is that we'll wind each other up in terms of we'll want to talk about something and then you'll get so rolled up between the two of you but actually it's probably not that healthy whereas we're not like that now because of that event but how did we get to that point 
you've got two careers. I hadn't really, when you have it, when you, when you've got a, um, a wife that's got a, a career of her own and she's worked so hard for it and she's such a phenomenal talent at what she does, you, when she returns to work, the pressure isn't on you as a man, it's on her. And I think in that, obviously the, the year after, the, the, the blackout moving jobs etc but there was a her going back to work was such a challenge for her that it didn't feel quite right for me to voice some of what I was feeling because as a career mum she's up against it day in and day out in her role she works in a largely male and it's a male dominated environment they're a bit backwards in terms of some of their behaviors some of their policies etc and when she's up against it and she's losing her confidence in those early formative months after going back after maternity leave and she's balancing that challenge of being a mum and, or not a challenge, the conflict of being a mum and a working mum, you kind of bed down on your stresses and pressures because it felt, and it certainly at the time, it felt like the right thing to do because I didn't want to burden her with negativity and, and 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 to be frank you know we both worked hard for 12 months up until max arrived we were both flat out you know when you're coming home five nights a week at eight o'clock at night both of you and then working in the evenings so you mean so you mean working still on your job not working as parents yeah yeah not, not yeah not none of this stuff that i do now you know she's working now was it 10 o'clock she went first till 11 o'clock and that's because it gives her a day with my son, a day where she can still spend time with Max. And I think, you know, as a, as a, as a father and as a husband, for me to, and I know I burdened her in the early days, and perhaps I should have done it before then. I felt, I did feel guilty that it was just wasn't something she needed to hear because she was balancing so much on her own, or not on her own, but in her own person, she was balancing so much. Yeah. But what made you feel that things will be better without you? You've acted, you've, you've communi- communicated that your eldest needs to go in a car journey for the hour. Like, come on. Yeah. I ain't got an hour worth of fuel to go somewhere <laughs> like that. But an hour, you it's amazing that. how far you can't get in an hour as well. Mate, don't <laughs> even, I'm, I'm str- trust me, I'm struggling with this thought right now. I, was, uh, I thank God my child don't do that. But you've gone out to soothe your child to help them go to sleep, relax, and so they can go to bed, mm. which has meant your wife can then look after your other child. Mm-hmm. So you've contributed in a positive way. You add value, but you didn't see that. You, there, no. was, there was still other factors that were weighing you down that made you feel like the world would be better off with you no longer here. Yeah, but I think the the, the difficulty for someone in that position is, when you get to that point, you can't hear anything. There's no logic. There's no, you're, you're trying to reason with yourself. And, you know, one of the, one of the major things that I struggled with in that, that between December and March of that year was I couldn't switch my brain off at nighttime. So, you know, you go to bed at like 11, I'll be awake at half one, still trying to turn my brain off. Now I'd be up at six. I'll be gone at quarter past six, straight out of the door. So, yeah, you know, my brain was never really off and it was, whether it was work, whether it was, you know, financial planning or whatever for whatever we needed to, to pay for at the time. You kind of, when you're in that space, there is no logic. 
I was listening to the Tyson Fury interview yesterday with um, the High Performance Podcast, and he he likened it to having a voice in his head that he had absolutely no control over. And whilst my, my, my maybe my experience isn't as extreme, I still had that gnawing voice, and it was like a constant. The only time it was switched off was between the hours of nine and five when I was stuck in meetings talking about whatever I was talking about in a meeting. And then from five onwards, it was there. It was inter- it impacting my relationship with my my eldest. And I'm sure my wife will tell you it was impacting the relationship that we have. But it's until somebody somebody points a trigger, you know, points a gun at you and says, you've got a choice. You either tell me now and this what's up. Or you don't and we, you know, something else could happen in the future where we part ways and there's a life, you know, where kids are in a broken home. And I'm not saying that's where we got to, but kind of the two choices I had at the time was to accept. I'd already accepted it, but admit it to her or fob it off again. And I was, it was, I'd, I'd gone too far at that point. I couldn't fob it off again because I don't necessarily think I would have coped with another uh, situation of, you know, the magnitude that I'd been going through. With that situation, you since found resolve, a purpose. You are now throwing yourself wholeheartedly into fatherhood and not just for your own well-being, but for the betterment of fatherhoods alike, wherever they be, whether it's locally, where you do your physical meetups and stuff like that. Is your relationship with your wife now better? Yeah, we're, you know, apart from the hours that we both work, we're, you know, we're in a space where we talk openly about the challenges, if there are challenges, which, you know, right now they have, they haven't been. And when I say I've got control of it, it's fully under control. I can wholeheartedly say I haven't had a voice in my head for two years. Nobody's gnawing at me. I'd sleep soundly at night. And our relationship, I think, has actually got stronger because of the vulnerability and that, and you know, it could have backfired. Don't get me wrong. And you hear horror stories about dads opening up and then finding out that their partner uses it against them because, for, for, you know, through the force proceedings or whatever. But it's brought us closer together. Our communication is stronger. Our relationship with our children collectively is better. We're on the same page. We talk about the right things. You know, we're, as, as many families are, we're nursing it through cost of living and th- those pressures that come with it. You know, and we have a relationship that, we make time for one another to enjoy the things that are important to us, whether that be music, whether that be a film, whether that be a, a nice meal or, or whatever. We almost mandate it in our annual calendar. There has to be one or two things that are just for us because if you've got something to look forward to, then you can get through three to six months knowing that you've got something to look forward to. And if it costs us, you know, a little bit extra to have a an even better time than we'll save and scrimp and save for it. That's fair enough. So similar to the last time I asked the question, you going back to just before, if you want to call it rock bomb, let's call it rock bomb, just before you hit that and then for whatever reason you found your result to improve your situation, what would you have told your younger self to help you realise, mate, this, the way you're going at the moment <laughs> you're going to hit something hard. What are you going to tell yourself this time around? That you will hit rock bottom, but here's the solution to get out of it. And if you learn, 
if you understand what the solution is, then you can make the changes so you avoid the rock bottom. So I'm, I was on a path. I hit rock bottom. I've learned an incredible amount of things about myself, but everything I learned is for a reason. But all the things I'm doing are basic. They are things that you should do. Eat healthily, drink less, exercise more, think about things that are important to you, understand your role as, as, as dad, or under, at least understand the impact on your small children's lives that you want to have. Yes, I hit rock bottom, but with three or four of those things, I would have got nowhere near the bottom because I'd have been healthy in my mind and healthy in my body. I would have discovered things, you know, books. I would have discovered podcasts. I would have discovered educational stuff that would enable me to avoid that drop. So you're telling yourself you're going to hit rock, bottom, rock, rock bottom and you've got to do a few things to, to change to avoid that. How are you again going to receive that information? Because you told me, you know, little nudges. Well, it wouldn't have been a nudge. It absolutely wouldn't have been a nudge. It would have been a rollicking. It would have been a very clear statement of intent or would be a very clear statement of intent. You must do this. It's not you should do it. It's you must make these changes because if you don't make time for yourself, if you don't make time for your partner, if you don't make time for your health, the only two people, the only three people in the world that are massively impacted by that failure, lay it down the line. You're not in that list. Your legacy is not something that you need to discuss with anybody because it, you're not there anymore. It's tough, very tough to hear. And you mentioned a few things that you would do physically, eat better, drink less alcohol, I'm assuming. You would, you don't make time for yourself. But mentally, what would you do differently? So mentally, that requires the physical. So you need to de-stress. You need to find what enables you to de-stress. Simple exercise, whether it be walking, fresh air, a walk in fresh air, excuse me. I do high-intensity stuff, so I know that that levels me off. Either in the morning, it sets me up for a really strong day, or in the middle of the afternoon, it breaks up a long working day where I'm sat at my desk. From a mental standpoint, alcohol has a massive impact on your enthusiasm for things on a Saturday or a Sunday morning. So regulating intake of things like alcohol has helped me massively to the point where I create circuit breakers throughout the year and don't drink and challenge myself to go further and further into the year without having a, an alcoholic drink. I, from a mental perspective, I journal daily on things that make me happy, things that are important to me. I love that. Things that I'm grateful for. And, you know, they're really simple things. Like I walked Henry to school the other day and he was holding my hand the whole time, asking me questions about, what, you know, does it rain in space? And of course, you know, I don't, of course it doesn't, but I don't know why, because I'm not educated in that way to be able to explain it, but I'll Google it <laughs> when we get home and I'll, I'll find out the answer. Do you know what I mean? One of the tricks for challenging environment at home, certainly, you know, when your kids aren't quite on form, sometimes as parents, you can focus on quite a lot of the negative stuff. And actually ignoring the negative stuff from a memory perspective and writing down five or six things that actually went really well, you know, enables you to totally repoint your and reframe your thought process around that day. So, you know, we went on holiday in the summer. 
Henry had some behavioral bits and pieces that he was going through. We later def- discovered it was a deficiency in his iron levels, which was causing him to be um, narky and also a bit of developmental stuff, just in terms of him getting older and taking on more stress from school. And some of the days were really hard. But at the end of the holiday, I encouraged my wife and, and, and I did the same to write down 15 things that went really well that you really enjoyed about the holiday. I can't remember. I know we had some tough times, but I can't remember them in detail. Creating memory spaces in your phone. So I'm, if you've got an iPhone or, or other phone, obviously, but iPhone specifically, it shows you a load of bloody photos every day. And most of them, if you've got kids, are of your kids, of the things that... I'm sure there's apps you can get on most devices anyway that allow that same feature to happen. Yeah, and then I've got... Uh, the, the main one for me is meditation. And it's only 10 minutes every day where I just stop thinking and focus on breathing. And that's it. And I've only been... I've been in and out of that for two years. Nice. And, you know, that just... Again, it's part of my morning routine. It just sets me up for a better engagement straight away. So I'm not naturally a morning person. So getting up and exercising, I have to get myself out of bed to start with. And then the second piece is that 10 minutes where I just decompress, especially on a Saturday morning when the kids are up early and you know you need a lie-in after a long week, that 10 minutes. And then you can, you know, I engage on a far better level, far more fun to be around because I've, almost unburdened myself of things that I might have been thinking about or trying to think about when actually my kids just need me to sit on the sofa and watch whatever nonsense they're watching on Netflix with arms around them and in a relaxed vegetative state at some at some point because the TV's really dull but <laughs> you have to be there and engage with them so like that's kind of that mental long-winded answer but there's a lot to it from a mental perspective and I, and I appreciate you sharing because I think it's important that, yes, we hear the whole diet, um, making time to go gym and stuff like that because we hear it all day, every day. You know, we get we get it promoted, but no one really switches off. No one really takes those moments to get our head right. I'm of the, of the persuasion saying you can't apply a filter to life, but you can change your mentality. And that's very important of how you're going to perceive things. You know, having an attitude of gratitude will go a long, long way. I'm always saying grab a diary, write things down in it that made you feel happy and made you feel something positive. Because I promise you, I can think back to 2004, something that happened annoyed me. And even up until now, I'm still thinking about it in yeah. detail. But I can't think about the five things today that made me smile. And that's wrong because I wouldn't want my children to be that way. So why am I developing that attitude? It is very hard to find time to be still. I like the phrase that says, meditate for five minutes a day, but if you're too busy to find five minutes a day, make it an hour. Like that, for me, is very clever because it just says you need to find time for you. And I think a lot of us, whether we're parents or otherwise, we're too often looking in the mirror and just seeing a reflection rather than seeing the person that's standing right there in front of them. We don't acknowledge what we feel we don't acknowledge how we're feeling. We don't acknowledge what what we like, what we don't like, the fears that we that we have creep up on us from time to time and talk it out. And these things are detrimental. Yes, people know I'm an advocate for therapy. I've done it multiple times myself. They come at different price ranges. You just got to find one that works for you and, and ticks all the boxes, budget included. 
But I think talking to yourself and having that relationship with yourself is so important. And I don't know. Well, I think where I lost a lot of family members in years gone by, I learned to talk to myself. And I think coming, like going to church kind of helped me learn to articulate how I feel and why I feel certain ways. But if you don't allow the time to have that conversation with yourself or with anyone else, you're emotionally illiterate and you're going to grow frustrated and you're going to potentially react in a negative manner. And it will not only impact yourself, but it will be toxic to those around you. And I'd like to think, given all the situation that you've been through and stuff like that, you are now a better partner to your wife. You're a better dad to your children. You are a fantastic human being who's lighting the world up in places where it just seems to be shadowed, well, covered in shadows. It's 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 amazing. So to conclude, because I'm very conscious of time, if that was not an L, what was that? A journey. It's a win. Because I'm here. I've learned a hell of a lot from, from it. And I believe to my very core that... I can teach my kids more now than I perhaps would have been able to. I would have taught them a lot of poor behavior. I would have role modeled. It's okay to just keep pushing on. It's okay to talk negatively. We're already encouraging my five-year-old to write down stuff that makes him happy, that's important to him, partly because it works. And for me, it enables him to just reflect on some of the things that you know, and that's, you know, a five-year-old's world is so, so simplistic at times and stuff that he comes out with, you know, who made you laugh today and why did they make you laugh? And you just think, I wish I had that, that curiosity and simplicity in, in the way that I looked at the world as you do, because boy, you'd have a, you know, your imagination would run wild. You'd have this creativity that you could put into anything and they're going to grow up. In my in my head, they're going to grow up in a in a far more inclusive but borderline toxic world, depending on where you sit. So, having the internal strength that I have shown and help them ed- be educated on it, and f- to find the joy in the things that they enjoy, not the things I want them to enjoy, because that's something that I've certainly picked up in the last twelve months. You know, do the things that you love, and you know, as a as a man, as a father, you and certainly to boys. Your biggest job, your biggest role is to teach them how not to be. Of all the things that maybe you were taught, all the challenges that maybe you've been through, all those things that created conflict for you, all of those things are a lesson. All of those things in my experience and through my journey are a win, but only because I can now teach my children to see it coming and to avoid it or at least learn from the setback. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've picked up from it. And, and, and that's why it's a win. It's because it's, it was a, a hell of a setback. And it wasn't just a setback for me. It was a setback for my wife. You know, the, the kids the kids obviously didn't see it. But I'm here. I'm far more positive. I'm happier. I've got, if I could tell you that I would sit here and write and talk, I'd talk to you for hours. You know, I'm so passionate about what I've been through. But more importantly, I'm passionate about telling the story to ensure that nobody goes through that type of situation again and then they can learn from it they yeah, they have to put the work in don't get me wrong it's a lot of hard work but why not because the people that benefit are the people that you love the most right exactly that and that's including yourself and that's part of the reason why i'm so passionate about this because 
hear, let other people hear in the stories. Like you mentioned to me that you listened to Kelly's episode and it now makes sense why you listened to the one about the car accident because of your own instances. And when I hear other people, I've had Stephen who's got his own business and he's ended up living with his parents and he listened to James's episode where he's living with his in-laws. And it's amazing that everyone's stories are intertwined and you guys are living in different countries. They're living in Philly and Connecticut, respectively. You guys are living over here and you relate to that. And it's a beautiful thing. And that's where I just love it. I know I'm connected to some amazing people. And to be able to have you guys jump on, share your stories and other people to benefit is a beautiful thing. And I cannot thank you enough. What I'll do, I'll ask you to for the next two minutes to talk about anything and everything you've got going on and just selfishly plug yourself away. Thanks for listening to the Every L podcast. Matt, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Great questions. Really good conversation. Really enjoyed it. For the listeners, you can find the Modern Fatherhood Club uh, on Instagram, simply at the Modern Fatherhood Club. You can see our website now, which is up and running. It's www.modernfatherhoodclub.com. And you can also find us on LinkedIn. Again, Matt, massive thank you for having me on. Really appreciated the conversation. Great to get to know you more. Uh, and hopefully the conversation we've just had resonated with your listeners. Fantastic. So all the details will be in the show notes and he'll be tagged in all the promo stuff I do anyway. Cannot thank you once again for sharing. And yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to that conversation. It could have gone on for so much longer, but unfortunately times escapes us. And I'm hoping to everyone that's listening that you guys got something from it because I personally did. And not just one thing, many things. I, I, it's a lot. It's a lot. But thankfully, you can see he's here. He's learned from it. It's a win, not a loss to him. He's able to channel that, that, that experience and use it for something good. And I don't know if that's part of what might be in it for you as a listener listening to this right now. But I would like to think that whatever situation you find yourself in, your right now is not your forever. And you've heard me say it many times before. There's nothing about a caterpillar that takes could be a butterfly. Again, that could be you in your situation. So just feel what you're feeling. Go through what you're going through. But please don't take it personal. Life is not personal. But life just life either happens to you or happens for you. And in my mind, it's a matter of how do you perceive it to be? And that will determine how you react to a situation. But please take heed, take encouragement from the story you've heard. This is real people sharing real stories about their experiences and what they've learned from them, if anything at all. And it's not a matter of them appreciate you telling you what to do or how to think, but they're telling you how they dealt with things, what how they retell the story and what they would tell their younger selves. And if it resonates with you, so be it. Fantastic. If it doesn't, at least you know there's another way of dealing with things versus the way you potentially are dealing with things. But please don't feel alone. Reach out. There are organizations, there are charities out there. I'll stick them in the show notes if need be. But don't go on this alone because, trust me, you will be missed. You are a valuable member of society, even if you feel like all you're doing is holding up the wall when you're in a crowded room. But someone needs to do it, right? But look after yourself. I greatly appreciate your time. Aidan, thank you very much, kind sir. Thank you. And yeah, to everyone, you know the drill. Every yell is not a loss and nothing about a caterpillar tell you it's going to be a butterfly. Look after yourself. 
do what you need to do and I will catch you in the next one. Speak soon.